For those of you that are listening, we wanted to let you know that there are some trigger warnings for this episode. This episode contains discussions about depression, anxiety, and suicidal tendencies. You're listening to The Take Back Podcast, where women of color creatives come together to inspire, empower, and encourage each other. I'm Jess Pillay, an Indo-Fijian independent singer-songwriter. And I'm Angelica Dianda, a Mexican-American licensed mental health counselor and singer. And this is the podcast where we explore and elevate stories from women of color who are artists, musicians, actors, entrepreneurs, and so on, who are navigating and taking back systems designed against them. Welcome back. For those that um, are listening, we just want to thank you for being here and listening to this second part episode where we get to hear more about Jess's story. So we're just going to pick it right back up and we're going to dive right in. Well, you know, I know you, right? And we both grew up in Christian households, right? Mm -hmm. So I know that you can probably speak to this, but I know for me, (laughs) um, a lot of the stuff that we heard growing up was uh, CCM, or for folks who don't know what that means, do you want to tell them what that little acronym means, Jess? Contemporary Christian Music. Oh, Lord. (laughs) So, yes, growing up, I know in my household, that was some of the music that my mom encouraged and would buy a CCM, but... (laughs) <laughs> I'm curious, just like a part of your creative journey, like what were some of the artists or the musicians oh, that Lord. you listened to growing up that inspired maybe some of the musical undertones that you have now as a singer songwriter? Okay, so when I was growing up, it really was only what was on the Christian radio station. Oh, That's God. pretty much all I was allowed to listen to. <laughs> And so, you know, quote unquote, secular music was very much like not allowed. It's taboo. Yeah. You know, I I even to this day, there are so many artists that I feel like as a songwriter, I should know. And I just don't know their catalog. And so I'll be talking to other musicians and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, this thing that this whatever artist they Mm -hmm. named Bob Dylan or somebody. And I'm like, uh, what? Yeah, sure. You know, not along because I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about half the time. I kind of lived under a rock growing up. And then high school happened, you know, and I took music appreciation class and got exposed to like Nora Jones and other artists like that. And then the big one for me when I was probably 14, 15, this is dating myself here, but Evanescence. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I was obsessed with Amy Lee. I wanted to be Amy Lee. In fact, my junior year of high school, I had my aunt help me like recreate an outfit that was very what? like well not a recreation but definitely like heavily inspired by Amy oh, Lee oh my word um, and I, I need... wore that to a dance stop it I need photos I need to <laughs> see this to dig some of those out and then it was you know late teens kind of early 20s when I discovered Rachel Yamagata there's our Rachel reference of the day but you know the thing that really got to me with her was the fact that she, much like Amy Lee, they were writing darker songs. Right. And not like, you know, evil or whatever, but just like honest, heartbreaking songs that really hit an emotional chord and were not afraid lyrically to talk about difficult things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I've talked about my childhood, but there are other parts of my childhood that just were not great for me. I grew up in somewhat of an unstable family environment at times and of course all the cultural instability that was constantly in my life so I think for the first time all of a sudden I was finding music like Rachel's that made me go oh people don't have to be afraid to talk about the things that are difficult in life and she's kind of (laughs) emo a little bit in terms of her lyrics and I loved it it just resonated with me because that was a part of myself that I was never allowed to really like be honest about right and so all of a sudden when I found music like that and then even started writing my own music it was like I want to write stuff that actually talks about 
true, honest, real emotions. And, you know, I do have songs that have a hopeful right. kind of perspective or, or or goal in mind. But I think that was the thing with CCM was like, that's all you could do. Is Every song had to have that turnaround right. of like, okay, if we're talking about hard things, that's fine. But everything has to have this hopeful kind of outcome and, you know, there's no space to just lament. Right. I think that's what drew me to the Amy Lees and the Rachel Yamagatas of the world was suddenly this realization that, like, you can just kind of sit in the sadness. Right. And that's okay. Right. So. Oh, so good. And it's so true. I think that people tend to just want to rush that. They mm-hmm. don't want to sit in the uncomfortable and in the not fun emotion. And how cool to hear that. You know, in your teens, you were exposed to artists that normalize that for you, mm-hmm. especially being in an environment, in a Christian environment where they're like, no, let's just let's just rush through that. Right. But it's so important, right? Because in those depths of whatever that emotional experience, that pain or that hurt, such beauty can come out of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I love that here you have these two examples of very strong, independent women mm-hmm. that showed you, right, that, hey, you can go there. You can go to those deep, hard places and it's OK. Yeah. And you can be expressive and you can create from those places. And if you're acknowledging those things, it doesn't mean you're a victim. Right. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to stay there right. forever. I think that was something that I didn't really learn in CCM spaces and, you know, learned much later mm-hmm. when I was in my 20s, really, to to finally go, okay, you can have a song that doesn't resolve. You can have a song that lyrically just kind of sits in that sadness, but that doesn't mean these people who are writing them are wallowing right. in it. You know, there's a difference. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. So let's kind of catch our listeners up a little bit. Your teen years, angsty, evanescent-esque teens. Can you imagine that, though? Oh, I I can. (laughs) I totally can. (laughs) I totally can picture it. But so, you know, jumping ahead, you know, going to college, right? I'm curious just to hear more about the path and the journey that led you to start your degree in music, Mm -hmm. music ministry. But you didn't end there, right? You actually ended up graduating with a completely different degree. So walk Mm -hmm. us through that. Yeah. So like I said, you know, growing up in the church and growing up in a Christian family, my exposure to music and my involvement with music had always been within that religious space. And it's what I knew. So when I got to high school, you know, by the time I was probably a sophomore, I already knew. Like, I feel like music is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I want to do it in a church. So I'm going to go become a worship director, worship pastor, whatever. That's a Mm stable-ish job. It's not like being an independent musician where you don't really know where your next paycheck is going to come from, right? And so that was the thing. And my family was incredibly supportive of it. And there was a lot of opportunity for me. And so it was just a no-brainer by the time I got to college and Mm -hmm. declared a major that music is it. And I had spent a ton of time leading up to that, like really involved in church, really involved in my high school's music program, and specifically involved with like the chapel program because I went to a Christian high school. So I used to lead worship every week for our chapel services, as well as leading for the youth group that I was a part of and did that through at least half of college. And so, um, you know, it just was a no brainer. It was like, yeah, this is always what everybody around me has expected of me. And then sophomore year happened. So sophomore year, I think I, you know, would now look back on it and say I was in a severe place of burnout. You know, I was going through all these music theory classes, ear training, worship team methods. And then I was like, probably giving 20, 25 hours a week on top of going to school full time to my church, unpaid, never, you know, never seeing a penny of payment or compensation. But I was basically the youth worship director. So I was leading twice a week, 
And then also in the youth choir at the time, which like did, I think maybe once a month or something, we would sing and lead worship for the main big services. Uh-huh. It was a pretty large church. Yeah. So I would have weeks where it's like, I'm trying to do homework. I'm trying to keep up with all of this. I was also teaching piano at the time. Okay. And so... I think I had five or six students at the time. So I would, you know, everybody else was like going home for the weekends to kind of chill and relax. I was going home to teach piano and lead worship on Sundays, at a youth group, right? So seven days a week, going, 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 never really getting an opportunity to rest. And but thinking to myself, like, I'm doing this to serve the Lord and I'm serving my church. And, you know, you talk all the time about like, God will fill you up and you'll have the strength and mm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens right. me. And I don't say that facetiously. Like, I believe that with right. my heart. But I also think that sometimes in church culture, there is no real space for self-care right. and balance. And right. so by the time I got to my sophomore year, my grades started to take a hit mm-hmm. And I would go into like our music theory and composition classes and I was doing the assignments, but there was nothing musical or interesting or good even about what I was composing because my heart wasn't in it anymore. And then at the same time, I was also going through what I now would label a crisis of faith because Mm -hmm. I'd been brought up in the church my whole life. And all of a sudden I was like, I'm getting into these Sunday morning services or Sunday evening services. I'm telling these students that I'm in charge of leading to worship God and, you know, feel all these things. And inside, I don't feel any of these things. I'm faking it every Sunday, right? For, For weeks and months and months. And then going to class and being sleep deprived and just not enjoying that experience. And emotionally exhausted, right? Completely exhausted, And so it all caught up to me. And the summer after sophomore year, right after grades posted, I looked at my music theory grade that year and it was not good. And I kind of had a little bit of a moment where I went, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, and and it sent me into this tailspin of clinical depression, Mm -hmm. you know, and started to have anxiety. And I spent like three months that summer just kind of locked in my room most of the time and I think that was the summer of insomnia too, huh? That's when it started. I remember. Actually, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you were not here at the time. You right. went home to Oregon and and this is like pre I don't know. I mean, we had we had the internet, but we just weren't as we active, weren't as with active like back then. texting and right. all that kind of stuff. And so you would go away for the summers and I would kind of have my life here and then school would come back and we would come back and sort of pick up where yeah. we left off. And so I don't think you even knew the extent of Mm -hmm. what was happening and how badly I was struggling. And finally, towards the end of the summer, I remember, you know, my mom, like, sitting me down and saying, I need to pray for you and, Mm -hmm. you know, hoping she'd kind of pray away this mental health crisis that I was having. And my grandma was really upset and nobody knew how to help me because, again, immigrant family were in a culture that mental health is not often talked about. Well, and in a Christian setting too. And in a Christian, the is, double whammy, right? right? And so they didn't know. Nobody even suggested, maybe we should put you in counseling. Right. Maybe, maybe that's we, what you need. Or maybe we need to take you to the doctor. Right. Right. Yeah. But I, you know, I just, I got really depressed. I spent close to three months mostly staying in my room. I remember I would sort of like sneak out at night or whatever when everyone was asleep so I didn't have to interact with anybody in my family. It's called avoidance. Right. There you go. (laughs) The clinical term. Um, And would eat kind of just enough to keep myself alive. Yeah. But certainly no level of nourishment. And I... I definitely had some suicidal tendencies at that point. I never did anything to actually make a plan or anything to that degree. But I can tell you, I remember laying in my room and just thinking, I don't know if God is real. I don't know if anything I've been taught makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And it would just be so much easier if I wasn't here anymore. Wow. Yeah. Those were the thoughts going through my mind. I mean... And to me, it makes sense why those thoughts would go there because you were in a season of just, just the pit, mm-hmm. right? You were in the pit, yeah. And and needless it, to say, I stopped doing all music right, at that point, right? Yeah. So you're no longer in the pit, 
So what was your journey like getting out of that pit? So towards the end of that summer, I finally found enough capacity and strength to come out of my room and face my family. And I just remember saying to my parents, I don't want to be a music ministry major anymore. They actually took it really well. Mm. Um, You know, I mean, I think they were shocked. I think they were like, this is what you've talked about since you were five years old. What do you mean you don't want to do this anymore? But also, I was the first person in my family to go to college. So for my parents, it was just kind of like, just finish your degree. If you need to change your major to do that, that's fine. Whatever it takes, you can figure out the career path thing later. Just get your degree. Because that was a big, big, big message in my household was like, finish your high school diploma. You know, do what we didn't do. Get your degree. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, again, first generation college student, child of immigrants who don't understand the American education system and certainly not the collegiate experience. Mm -hmm. I just had no idea how to navigate anything. And, you know, unfortunately, we went to a predominantly white school that did not really make a point to address first gen concerns and issues. Yep. And I mean, it's common for college students to change their major sometimes multiple times Mm -hmm. and whatever. But nobody really ever talked to me and said, like, okay, your family didn't go to college, so they're not going to have the ability to advise you on what really makes sense for you. So me, in my own, you know, kind of naive brain at the time, thought, well, what's something I'm good at? Mm -hmm. And also what I think is going to get me a job. Uh So I go, let me get an English degree. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up doing that. And I also thought to myself at that point, you know, I didn't know where I was going to be as a musician, but I figured if I ever do end up going back into music, English seems like something that would complement that well, because you're talking about storytelling. Ding, ding, ding. And I mean, and that's exactly what you're doing now as a singer songwriter is you're telling stories, right? And so, I mean, I often talk about how um, life is like a tapestry where we don't know how the threads interweave or interconnect. And that's where the the intersect happens, right? Which which we didn't know back when we were 20 years old that here we would be fast forward 15, 16 years later and you're using that. And let me tell you what, I use that degree every day. People yes, do. people give crap to English majors, but I'm going to just stand up and defend us because I cannot tell you the number of times I've had colleagues come up to me and say, can you proofread this for me? It's like, oh, what am I, yes. your editor now? <laughs> like, but that happens it all does. the time because people see the value in having somebody on their team mm-hmm. who is really good at grammar right. and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, I know for both of us, we have journeyed with one another in those highs and those lows. And I know that also during that time period, there was a lot of things that happened within your family. Mm -hmm. So walk us through just those major family events that happen during and post college and the impact that that has had for you as a storyteller. Yeah. So right during my final year of college, my grandma got sick Mm. with cancer and our whole family had a relationship with her that was really close. So Mm -hmm. she lived with us, you know, Mm. she wasn't that grandma that you saw for the holidays or you just went and visited every few months. Like she was my second mom, Mm -hmm. the rock, the foundation of our family. And so when she got sick, it was just like your whole foundation has now been rattled Mm -hmm. And on the heels of my grandma getting sick and then eventually passing away, my parents were going through a really rough time, too. Mm. And my parents are now divorced. And so, um, you know, it's no wonder that as a songwriter, I've kind of moved in this very different direction now, because I think what I'm writing now is a much more true reflection of real experiences that I've had. And experiences that need to like that need to be shared. And music has actually become a way for me to process my trauma. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I know that for you, losing your nani has been so challenging and so difficult. And I know there's a story. In fact, I know that you shared the story um, when you were a guest on another podcast. Mm -hmm. But 
there was some words of wisdom that Nani imparted you that, I mean, I personally believe that may have been like valuable. Mm-hmm. So can you share those words? Yeah. So when she was still alive and I had just sort of made the decision to fully step down from all of my music and church activities, obviously I was in the middle of a massive identity crisis at that time. And I remember talking to her because she was always the person that I would go to when I needed advice or was just struggling with things. And I felt like I could always be super honest with her and, you know, never felt judged. And so I was able to go to her and just sit down and talk and say, you know, I don't really know who I am now Mm -hmm. because I left this thing that everybody has always labeled me as, right? So I wasn't just Jessica growing up. I was Jessica, the church worship leader kid or teen or youth or whatever, you know. That was such a big part of how people viewed me. And so at some point in time, it it went from like, this is my passion to now I'm trying to meet the expectations of everybody around me, right? And so here I found myself in this place of saying, I don't think I can meet these expectations and I don't know who I am. And she just looked at me and she said, your identity is not in what you do. It's in who you are. And so and more specifically, who you are in Christ is what she said. And so, you know, and that that changed my whole outlook at that point. It was like a turning point for yeah. me because I realized that I needed to give myself permission to just say, guess what? Screw the expectations. Yeah. Doesn't matter what people expect of me. Who do I want to be? Right. And and does God have these expectations of right. me? And I realized the church might, God doesn't, right? right? And I believe he used her to speak yeah. that into my life. Yeah. And it was just like such a freeing experience to finally go, oh, I can give myself permission to step away from this thing that everybody has always known me as right? and go and find out who is Jess right. outside of this. So that eventually when I did come back to music, I had a better sense of who I was. Right. And I mean, we're always still learning who we are and evolving as human beings. But I didn't feel like I was dependent on my music in terms of like my identity at yeah. that point. Oh, so good. Look at that. Your nanny, even though she's no longer with us, like her words so deeply impacted your life. Mm-hmm. And I do believe um, to the point where, where you're at today. Yeah. Right. So after your nanny's death, you know, just even listening and hearing I'm making connections right so she passed away in 2010 which was right around the time that you were graduating from school Mm -hmm. and there's a season of about five or six years where musically you did not do anything Mm -hmm. and that's when you started to you know kind of figure out who you are professionally right Mm -hmm. so walk us through that journey because that was a period of time where I knew you as just the professional, yeah. not my my best friend, just the the creative. Yeah. So what happened during those six years? Yeah. So Nani passed away and parents were going through a divorce and, you know, I had two little brothers and I I don't know where this messaging came from. I don't feel like my parents put it on me or anything like that. But I think when you grow up in a family that has some level of instability a lot of times you look at your life and you're like, what's my role within my family? Mm-hmm. And the role that I sort of assigned to myself was the problem solver. Mm. So when it came time to find a job, my thoughts were, I got to get something stable. Forget what I want to do. That's not important right now. Our family's kind of in survival mode at mm-hmm. this point. I got to get something that I don't have to worry about, like, where the paychecks are going to come from. It's just something that's going to give me stability. And I'll just take whatever I can get. So I ended up applying for an admissions counselor position and, you know, ended up kind of getting stuck in higher ed. And, you know, to be fair, there were some good things about that work. There are things I learned from it. But it was very, very different from the music thing or, you know, certainly not what I would have expected for myself. And I think I, you know, initially thought I'm going to do this for a couple of years probably and then go figure out what I really want to do with my life. And somehow ended up just kind of getting stuck. Yeah. And, you know, you didn't use these words, but you chose a safe option. And it makes sense why, because... 
you know, and I saw firsthand, like, your family was in crisis mode. And so you kind of stepped into that that firstborn role, which is yeah. like, I need to be the person that steps in. And, I got to provide some form of right. stability. Yeah. I just think, oh, you were like the Louisa of your yeah. family. I know, <laughs> in Kanto reference, but but you, you know, were trying to just, you know, step in and and kind of mitigate all that. So because you were working, and I don't know the why, but you can kind of tell us, like, once again, there was this period of, like, lack of creativity that wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. And then a shift happened, right? In 2016, something happened that led you to start writing and playing music again. So what shifted for you then? You know, there isn't like one specific moment or anything that I can pinpoint where I went, okay, I need to do it again. But I think after these years of becoming an admissions professional, doing that work, actually being really good at it, but always feeling the sense of imposter syndrome for Mm -hmm. whatever reason and kind of going, okay, this was supposed to be a temporary thing. This was never supposed to be this thing that I did for any significant amount of time. And I also had a lot of unresolved feelings about my creative life because I had just sort of shoved that into the corner and wasn't doing it. And so around 2016 or so, I just kind of decided, I think I want to start playing again. Let me just try it. We'll see where it goes. I don't know for sure if this is going to turn into a career path for me. Maybe it'll just be a hobby at this point. But I really do miss playing and I miss the community. So, you know, we were out of college and, you know, I have friends. I grew up here, so a lot of my friends are around and all of that. But I think a lot of my friends were even people from work or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of found myself in this place of like, where are my creative, my fellow creatives? That experience that I was having in college when, as much as we talk about the trauma of our, you know, music theory classes and all that, but like we were always doing music things together and creating. And as a working professional, I just didn't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just was like, I'm hungry for it again, Mm -hmm. I think. And I think I've had enough time away from it to where if I do come back to it, I'm not going to be like super dependent on it in the same way that I was before. And I get to dictate the story now. And so I thought to myself, well, let me try a new instrument. So I, you know, had always been a piano player for most of my life. And I finally thought to myself, let me try guitar. So I actually asked a work buddy of mine who also played guitar just as a hobby and said, you know, hey, will you go to Guitar Center with me sometime and we can go look at guitars? I don't know anything about the acoustic guitar. All I know is I want one. (laughs) Right. And he said, yeah, let's do it. So we went down and helped me pick out one that was like a good starter guitar and um, ended up getting that and then tried for months and months and months to teach myself and realize real quickly, I do not have the attention span and the dedication to to learn a new instrument on my own. And so I did some research and ended up finding my friend Wes, who was a guitar teacher and took lessons with him. And he was doing the indie singer songwriter thing. So when When we had our first lesson even, or the first couple of lessons, we talked a lot about goal setting and kind of what do you want to do with this? And, you know, I told him about my history and what I was doing before in the church and all that kind of stuff. And I think he was actually the one who kind of nudged me and said, have you thought about songwriting? Like, you have a great voice, you play piano, guitar could be another tool in your tool belt, you know, to try songwriting. And... I kind of went, oh, yeah, okay, maybe, you know, and ended up trying it out. And I wrote a couple of songs. And I remember he was like, this is good. Like, you have something here. You should stick to this and, you know, keep writing. And then, you know, because he was out gigging and doing a lot of that stuff, I kind of said, let me dip my toes in that. Mm -hmm. And so we played a couple shows together at, like, these tiny little coffee shops. I tried out a couple of open mics and... And got a really, really positive response from people. You know, it was fun to be in a room of strangers who didn't know me as a musician, who didn't know just the worship leader at all, who were responding to this original material that I was now starting to put out. And then also to play gigs where I had friends and people who knew me at one point in my life as a musician coming out to those shows and saying, wow, like, this is a really fun new thing. And so... I don't know. From there, it just kind of took off and yeah. I've I've never looked back. And, you know, the more I've thought about it, the more I've realized 
this actually is what I want to do for my career. Mm -hmm. And so I'm slowly taking steps in that that direction. And you know what? It is a hard life. Right. And I'm, again, not in a position where I can fully go all in yet. Right. I would love to, but I got to pay the bills somehow. So I do have another job that I'm doing and trying to juggle that and everything else. But slowly, 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 I think, you know, moving. You're moving towards that direction, right? And it sounds like, you know, what fueled it was just the positive response that you were getting from the audience, Mm -hmm. right? Which I know for a lot of musicians that that can be helpful, right, in their creative process and or can be ways that they get feedback for what works well or not works well, right? And I'm curious, just in this journey, as you are trying to take steps towards that goal mm-hmm. of being fully independent to be fully like that is just your full-time job right full-time yeah. gig yeah what's been the hardest thing mm-hmm. what's been those barriers that have really really made it challenging for you to be able to pursue music as a professional mm-hmm. full-time you know there are so many things and that's a big part of the reason we started this podcast because I think like going back to my college experience right I talked about going to a college where it was predominantly white, you yeah. know, and a lot of wealthier white folks right. too, I would say. You know, I was certainly not that. My family didn't have a lot of money and all that. Um, you know, but I, nobody thought to come alongside and say, how do we really support you and see your individual right. needs as a first generation right. minority college student? How right? can we mentor you? How can yeah. we encourage you? How can because we... the advice you would give someone who's a minority first-gen college student is going to be drastically different from the white student whose parents and grandparents and whoever have gone to that school and they're, you know, they're legacy students. Like, that's a totally different exactly. type of student. Yeah. So as a musician in this industry, to answer your question, it's that piece of being a woman of color trying to navigate a business that really like my therapist, you know, said, you're in a system that wasn't designed for you. And so I'm trying to navigate this thing with other kinds of pressure, other kinds of narratives, you know, expectations, whatever, that other people around me maybe don't necessarily have. Right. And again, I don't say that to like victimize myself or say that, oh, it means I have it so much harder or whatever. It just means that I have to be aware of these other sort of challenges. And then I think the other thing that always gets me, it's when people say, well, what do you actually want to do for your career? Right. And it's like, how many times do I need to get a neon sign above my head that says musician? Right. Like, I don't know how to spell it out for people and explain to them that, like, I know this is a really hard field. It's super competitive. There are all kinds of things stacked against me. I'm also doing it a little bit later, I think. Right. A lot of people get their start or really start pursuing it, you know, right out of college or even before college. Mm-hmm. And now you got like TikTok stars who are teenagers. Yeah, you know, I, I got famous. some of those in my family. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. That's true. You do, actually. <laughs> but like a lot of people just start earlier, whereas like I'm in my mid 30s. I'm sort of now for the first time really giving it a true go. But that's what's so mind blowing still to hear and I know we've talked about this obviously like on mic and off mic that people keep saying that and they're not getting it because you know we do live in an era where one person just posts a video and then they become viral Mm -hmm. and that could just launch them into a whole potentially different career path than what they were on yeah and it's just I, I don't know like part of me wonders like are you hearing this from like boomers or like from other millennials or like or like, who are you hearing all this of the from? Above. Oh, all my of the God. above. That's so, you know? that's so infuriating. That yeah. makes me so bad. Yeah, but it's it's really my music and creative community that continues to come around me and say, you got this, you can do it, and we believe right. in you, and we're going to support you. And, you know, so when the pandemic happened, obviously music shifted in an incredible way. Right. And, you know, touring artists had to stop and, you know, all that kind of stuff happened. And I was talking to my now producer and I I remember saying to him, you know, I wish I didn't want this as much as I do. Like, I wish that I could just be happy at the nine to five or whatever. But something in my spirit just doesn't let me be satisfied with that. And I have watched a lot of people, including a lot of immigrants or children of immigrants who say, yeah, we're going to put the dream aside, right? So I was talking to my dad, for example, yeah. and my dad loves cooking. 
And when he came here, one of his earliest jobs was actually in a restaurant. And he at one point had a dream that like, maybe I'll start my own restaurant someday. But again, he did the immigrant thing, said that's not what's going to provide stability. So I'm going to go get something else. So he ended up working for the county and did that for, you know, over 30 years and just retired recently. And I was having a conversation with him. He said to me about my music, like, you need to give this a go. He's like, don't be like me and not give it a try. If it doesn't work out, you can always go back to higher ed or, you know, whatever else you decide you want to do. But you should do this because I didn't have that and I didn't do it. And when I finally tried it i think he was going to do like a food truck at one point or whatever Mm -hmm. he just realized i'm too old and i don't have the energy for this now you know and it's i mean it's a lot of work to start your own business and and i've said that to my mom a couple times too where i'm like i gotta give this a go now when i'm still unmarried i don't have children like i'm kind of very much solo right now and means for me that i need to really give this a true genuine shot and so when people come along and say yeah okay your music's cute or your hobby you know these kinds of words that get used and I'm like no career is the word you want to use this is my profession and I get it I'm not really making money off of it at this point but guess what nobody who starts a business is making money off of it right no one right and once again just imagine all the creators out there that we are missing out on because they're listening to those voices, yeah. right? They're listening to those people that are telling them, oh, oh, that's really not a career to pursue or that's not a profession or what are you really doing, et cetera, or that's a little hobby, right? And so, and I know that's kind of the big inspiration for this podcast is that we want to be a space where we can be the opposite voice that says to all of you listeners out there, that your gifts matter, your talents mm. matter, and that you should pursue those talents. And it won't be easy. No, But it you won't. should still give it a shot. Well, nothing that's worth it is easy, right? That's true. So I think that that's the most important lesson is like, you know, that, I mean, when you got to put some work, some blood, sweat, tears, like, and the fruit that comes out of it, it is so worth it. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you are doing what you're doing, right? That through your creativity and through you saying, no, I'm not going to like continue to listen and hold space for those voices around me. We wouldn't be here. Like we literally would not be here. Our podcast would not be happening. And so I'm so glad that you are the person that you are and that you're doing this. I'm I'm so grateful for you. You know, during the pandemic and even before the pandemic, you have done a lot of creative projects. And one of the things that's been really cool to to watch you as a creative is bringing people alongside of you and partnering with other creatives in your project. So tell us a little bit more about that and why, like what led you to create art in that way? Yeah, I think a lot of that goes back to the fact that I did grow up in church. And so my earliest years of doing music really revolved around doing it with other people. So, you know, I was always a choir kid. I Mm -hmm. wasn't always just somebody who sang solos or played by myself. And then when I got into, you know, seventh grade, eighth grade, I was a part of a worship band. And so I was always playing with other musicians and There's something really cool about watching other people interpret a piece of music together and bring in, you know, their talent and their skills and all of those things. So I think a lot of it had to do with that. I also think it's a cultural thing because Mm -hmm. we come from cultures, both of us, that are not individualistic. They tend to be more collective. Right. right? So what's mine is yours, you know, that whole kind of idea and... When you make decisions like for your family or whatever, you're making decisions that really benefit everybody. And so I think those values are there. And Mm -hmm. I think that really bled into how I feel my most creative best. And, you know, and also I think there's a certain level of self-awareness to it because as a musician, I know I'm not the best musician on the planet. Like I'm definitely, um, and I, you're making faces at me because I know what you're thinking. Like, give yourself more credit, Jess. Yep. Which I, I, I hear you, but just objectively speaking, I do think that there is something really powerful about bringing other people who are just further along in their musicality or their proficiency and being able to tap into their creative 
styles and things that they bring to the table. So like one of the songs that I just finished is a song called Telling You the Truth. And I got to bring my brothers along Mm -hmm. for that. And it was so fun to, first of all, get to collaborate with both of them, which is not something, believe it or not, we had all done. And, you know, that day of tracking that song is probably my favorite day from the whole entire experience Mm, of making the EP. Because we got to go down to my producer's house and record right in his living room and just getting to watch these two people that I love and care about so much who have gone through the trenches with me, right? We've gone through every hard thing ever together. Mm -hmm. And they are, my brothers are my best friends, in addition to you, of course. Um, (laughs) And so to be able to bring them along and watch them bring their style and just the way that they approach music mm-hmm. was so much fun. And the yeah. same thing has happened, you know, anytime I've brought you on to right. sing or Sam has done a lot of music projects with me and getting to bring him along and and kind of just give him a chord chart and say, okay, go to town, figure right. out how you want to approach this right. and watching the bells and whistles that he brings to it is just like, I just love when music becomes more than just you. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really confirmed for me through the pandemic because yeah. when gigging stopped and everybody was in lockdown, you know, a lot of artists at that point in time, this is like kind of early 2020, were doing live streams. Mm-hmm. And so, and we couldn't really collaborate with each other because we were in lockdown. So it was like a lot of us were just live streaming solo from our houses. Right. And I did a couple of those. And you know what? They were fairly well attended. But I hated the experience. Right. Because you're you know? all by yourself. You don't you don't have the audience that you can vibe off of. You don't have other and musicians. And the people on stage yes. to vibe with. Yeah. Right? So I just found myself going, I am bored out of my mind. I don't right. know how you all are still watching this because I'm bored out of my mind listening to myself play. <laughs> this just sounds like a practice session right. when I'm here practicing in my living room by myself. And, you know, anytime I can get on stage with other musicians, that's just, that brings me so much more joy. Yeah. Um, You know, I love harmony, which is why I love singing with you and being able to bring you into a project. I just think music is a universal language Mm -hmm. and it's about so much more than just us as independent people. So anytime you can bring others in and and tell a piece of their story through your own music, there's such power in that. I love it. I love it so much. So, okay, I'm curious. Who are some women of color singer-songwriters or musicians that you would like to collaborate with in the future? You already know the answer. I mean, to I know what I mean, I know <laughs> one of the answers, but I I'm thinking that there might be more than just yeah. that one, right? Yeah. Well, obviously Rachel Yamagata. <laughs> Rachel. So Rachel, come be on our show and do a songwriting Rachel, collab please. with me. <laughs> Please. Nora Jones. I mean, I'm dreaming big here, but she's amazing. I absolutely mm-hmm. love her. I also love that she's part Indian. Um, there's a friend of mine that we've talked about collaborating for a long time, and it just hasn't happened yet, mainly because of COVID. But um, Ronnie Weatherby, she's mm-hmm. an Indian-American independent singer-songwriter in the greater Seattle area as well. But she plays the ukulele and oh. has this beautiful, booming, kind of jazzy you know, belty kind of a voice. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. I just love her voice and I would love to do something with her. But yeah, those are a few. A few, yeah. Yeah. Are there any others that maybe that are non-women of color that you'd like to collaborate with? Well, one of them I just did collaborate with, which was Derek Nelson, who is yep. my producer. So I was a huge fan of Derek for a long time. And Honestly, working with him was a dream. And then uh, Quinn Archer is also the other one that I have been wanting to collab with for a long time. And I just did. So she sang on one of my singles and um, she's incredible. I had so much fun working with her. And then I'm just going to speak this out into the universe. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but I'm kind of obsessed with Ben Barnes at the moment. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I love his voice. I think he has a great voice. And so I would love to work with him. Yeah, I'm sure there are a million others I could name, but oh, those are the ones it. that come to mind. Love it. Oh, if you could summarize your creative journey with either a favorite quote or a favorite saying, favorite song lyric, what would it be? Yeah. So the song lyric that comes to mind, again, another Rachel reference because <laughs> I'm just full of them. She has this album out that's called Tightrope Walker. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorites. We love it so much. 
And there's a line on there that says, focus on where you're going, no matter where you've been. It's just Mm. one foot in front of the other now. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I I always think of that quote whenever the music thing gets hard, especially. Mm -hmm. I'm like, just focus on where you're going. Right. Doesn't matter. Your past doesn't define you. One foot in front of the other. Just keep Keep going. going. I love it. So there's that. And then as far as like a literary reference, going back to my C.S. Lewis theme here, he wrote a book called Till We Have Faces. And um, there's a quote in there that says, holy places are dark places. Hmm. Holy wisdom is not clear and thin like water, but thick and dark like blood. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. But I love that quote so much because to me, especially growing up in church, this idea of being in holy spaces, right, and sacred spaces, and this kind of toxic positivity that often comes in those environments, you know, where everything has to be bright and cheery and joyful and, and all of that. I love that he's embracing this idea of darkness Mm -hmm. in the holy spaces and that when you're in those moments of lament, Mm -hmm. when you're in those moments of trials and hardships and confusion, those moments and spaces can be holy just as much. You can learn so much about yourself and about God and, you know, or whatever you believe in, like, there is a space for that Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Yeah. And so I love that. Holy places are dark places. So good. So good. Oh, well, Jess, thank you so much for letting me get to like walk our listeners along the path of getting to know you and getting to know your story a little bit better and in a more intimate way. But for folks that may not know who you are, like, can you tell everyone just where they can find you, where they can find your music? Yeah. So you can check out most of my music anywhere that you stream music. So Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, all of the places. Um, In fact, I will highly recommend that you go check out the Shine On music video on YouTube because my friend Stephanie, who is also a woman of color and an incredible dancer, is featured in that music video. I'm very proud of it. So I want to plug that. And then you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those places. It's at Jess Pillay Music. And then JessPillayMusic.com is my website. And um, that's where I announce new projects and show dates, all that stuff. So yeah, that's JessPillayMusic.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jess. And we're going to do a little segment that I'm hoping that's going to be something we're going to do with other guests in the future. But this segment is called the final five in five. So this is final five questions in under five minutes. I've got the stopwatch ready to go. I am serious. You actually have to answer this in less than five minutes. So yeah, I'm excited about this. And here we go. I'm going to click start and we're gonna go okay so jess what is your favorite comfort food it's actually a drink and the answer is chai homemade chai either made by my mom or myself i don't do that starbucks crap like or the real chai chai. yeah (laughs) we're laughing because my mom is trying to pull that stunt on you she did and i called her out right away i could tell the difference between the fake and the real deal but chai is definitely my comfort food all right uh next question what's one thing one item that you cannot live without my korg sv1 keyboard okay what's your non-music related (laughs) item that you can't live without dang it (laughs) oh man that's hard don't um, worry, you you still you still got four minutes left, so you're good. <laughs> I don't know, probably like a journal or something. Okay. I tend to process, you know, a lot of stuff that way. So I I'm always writing. Um, yeah, so okay. probably that a journal. Okay, all right. What currently is inspiring your creativity? So this can be either something that you are reading or have read, an album or an artist that you're frequently listening to, a movie, a place. Yeah. What is inspiring you? Yeah. So I've been really into Scary Pockets at the moment, which is, is um, it's kind of a whole music community, I guess. And oh. so we mentioned Ben Barnes earlier. He he just did 
um, you know, this great cover song with Scary Pockets. So it's this collection of musicians. They kind of pull in different musicians from all over the place. And a lot of the times they're doing covers that are like funk inspired. Oh, okay. Um, And so, yeah, it's just really fun interpretations of music. And they kind of have a core group of musicians and then other guests that they'll, you know, bring in and out. So maybe someday I'll be on Scary Pockets. All right. So listeners, here you go. This is what we're going to do. We're going to bomb Scary Pockets (laughs) and we're going to tag Jess on all the things so that they'll be like, who is this Jess Pillay person? And hopefully this will get them to get her on one of their segments. All yeah, right. But I've been I've been listening to them and seeing a lot of their different interpretations of kind of old covers and it's super fun. That's so good. All right. Oh, big heavy hitter question, but how do you define success? I would say community. I think community is how I define success. So when people come together collectively and share an experience, you know, for me as a musician, being able to share with more than just myself. Like to me, it's not really about my ego. It's about creating a collective experience where other people can hear the music, connect with it and say, that's my story Mm -hmm. that I'm seeing. That feels way more like success to me than just saying, oh, you got a bunch of, you know, hits on YouTube. I don't know if people really watched it or if they just clicked on it and clicked off of it or, you know, you have a bunch of followers on Instagram. I do not for the record, but, you know, if I did, it's like that ultimately beating the algorithm or whatever is not nearly as important to me as having a core smaller group of fans even who are really dedicated, who understand what I'm doing and want to be a part of it and feel like they're sharing Mm -hmm. in it. That feels like success. Awesome. To me. What a great answer. All right. Final question. Okay. Pineapple on pizza, yay or nay? Yay. Okay. Now 100%. Tell, okay. Now tell the audience why it's a yay. Tell them. Because why. it's delicious. And also because I have those island, you know, Fiji Island roots. Right. So I'm sure that somewhere, you know, that comes back to it. But. I love it. I love a good pizza with pineapple on awesome. it. All right, Sorry, well, Sam, who's going to have to edit this later. <laughs> He's giving me a thumbs up for our, our listeners. All right. Under five, four minutes and six seconds. Yay! Yay! Okay, good job, Jess. But um, once again, just thank you so much for being here and like being brave and bold and following through with this idea to start this podcast. And um, we are so glad, listeners, that you are here with us. If you are still listening, we hope that you will join us next time where Jess will be interviewing me. So you're going to get to know a little bit about me. But if you liked what you listened to in today's episode, please make sure to go and give us a five-star rating on the platform that you're listening to this podcast. And make sure to leave a review and a comment, letting us know what about Jess's story inspired you. We also want to make sure that you know about our Instagram account at the Take Back Podcast. Go ahead and give us a follow. And if you're a woman of color creative, we would love to hear about you and to get to know you more so that you could potentially maybe be a guest on our show. Want to be a creative revolutionary with us? Visit thetakebackpodcast.com to learn more.